0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Let's make a journey together. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18. What a tremendous pivotal point this scripture serves for all of us today. I want to say as we begin that certainly Jesus did sit down in his earthly ministry and teach. We find various occasions of that. But in addition to just teaching, he, he didn't spend a, a lot of time as a lecturer student in that lecturer student setting, but most of the teaching of the Lord is by example. Now even from a young man, I always really enjoyed illustrations because it could help me get my mind around what the speaker was talking about. And so the Lord used parables and uh, they were examples to bring to life and to bring to light a central message. And so that's what we're going to see here today. We're going to see the Lord in, in the book of Luke here, chapter four, 18. We're going to see him read from uh, the passage of scripture that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And so with that, the Lord gave the book back to the ministers or to the ministry. And it was more than just a setting where he says, this is what you ought to do. But he then exampled that in his life and ministry, and we're going to talk about that today. It's often been said that Jesus was a friend of sinners. He's been called that many times. And so when we consider this particular text in Luke, it's not difficult for us to believe that or to draw that same conclusion ourselves. He was a friend to sinners. In a unique way, we see several illustrations of the Lord living out verse 18. So he didn't just say it, but he lived it. He exampled it, and I'm thankful that those examples are still alive in the church today. They're not caught up, locked up somewhere in a chapter of the book, or they're not locked up in uh, in the scripture or in the word of God. In a world that is moving at warp speed, they'll they'll figure that out. Here we go. I'm going to leave them some editing time right here. (laughs) Can we just start over? We'll just start over because they're recording this. We're glad that you're here today. Going to ask our musicians to come back. (laughs) Ask you to leave the building and come back in. We want it to be as authentic as possible. (laughs) Amen. Pardon us, but we'll get this right. This is what happens when you're doing this. If you have your Bibles today, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18. It's here we find this scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I'm thankful that as we study and observe the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, that he doesn't just sit down in a a uh, student-teacher setting and just give the word of God or give some instructions. But I'm thankful that we, in addition to that, can find him being a living example of the things that he taught. It's often been said that Jesus was a friend of sinners. We hear that terminology from time to time And so I think when we consider this particular passage found in the writings of Luke, it's not difficult for us to agree or draw that conclusion ourselves. He was a man that was unashamed. He was not bashful to reach into and invest himself into the lives of those that needed him most. In a unique way, uh, the gospel of Luke, we see several illustrations of the Lord living out the things that he taught. And we're blessed by that today. In a world that is moving at warp speed, it's easy for some people to really feel like they don't belong, that somehow life is just passing them by and that they are on the outside looking in. And sometimes that may not be a long-term feeling, that may not be something that people deal with for a lifetime, but it can certainly be true during certain seasons of a person's life. People that encounter life changing circumstances uh, can often feel ostracized by life. People that endure hardships, perhaps long term illnesses, or the loss of a loved one or a companion, without notice, these situations, these circumstances, can often leave that individual feeling like they have somehow stepped off of the moving train called normal and that they are on the outside looking in seemingly at everyone else's life that's going on day by day. One day everything is fine. One day everything is what we refer to as normal. And in an instant, people can find themselves on the outside looking in. Are at least feeling as though they're on the outside looking in. Perhaps some feel far from God and wonder if there's any hope that they would ever be able to come back to him. And if you've experienced anything like that in your life, I believe the Lord wants to speak something into your heart here today. Luke provides us with numerous examples of people that have been shunned and or despised by others. To some degree, they were deemed unworthy of attention or deemed unworthy to be included. While there are many outcasts that we could probably focus on in the writings of Luke, I want to just mention a few, and I want to try to draw them into a 21st century portrait of the church. I believe that's what we should be. In Luke chapter 5, in verses 12 through 16, we find Jesus meeting a man that had leprosy. So as he's passing through this particular uh, city, he encounters this man with leprosy and when the leper sees Jesus, something very unique happens. And that is that the leper fell down at his feet and began to worship him. That's what the scripture says. And on the heels of his worship, this leper looks to the Lord and said, Lord, if thou will, thou can make me clean or you can make me whole. If you will. Now, I think this was a complete act of faith on the part of the man with leprosy. And the reason I say that is because there were no New Testament cases of the Lord healing leprosy at this point. We do have Old, case, uh, old Testament illustrations, naming the leper, for example. But it wasn't as though Jesus had a healing campaign or a healing ministry and a part of his brochures says, if you have leprosy, come and you can be healed. That had not been done up to this point. But something happened, I believe, in that moment of worship. That's why I believe that worship is so critical to a church service. It's not just something we do because it's part of our culture. But there's something that happens and something that's released in our lives as we begin to worship the Lord. In his worship, pure and unadulterated worship, he had faith born in his heart that said, Lord, if you will, You can, amen, you can. And so Jesus did something at this moment that ordinarily would have made him ritually unclean because the scripture says he put forth his hand and he touched him. And the Lord then said, I will be thou clean and instantly he was healed. Jesus orders him to now turn and go to the priest. And let him examine you because in order for him to return to normalcy of life, the priest had to be the one to make sure that he had been healed. And so he said, go and show yourself to the priest. What he was saying in essence was this, he will deem you clean and you can return back to society. Truthfully, this man, at this point in his life, because of this disease would have practically been invisible to those around him. Because when others saw him, they would intentionally avoid him, and rightly so. He had a very dreaded disease. As a matter of fact, according to the law, if he were to meet someone, uh, maybe in the In the after stages of leprosy, it would be pretty easy to find indicators of that disease. But perhaps early on, an unsuspecting person at a distance may not be able to see that he was a leper and the law required him to cry out unclean, Unclean. Can you imagine how shameful that must have been? You're already feeling as though you're an outcast. You're already feeling socially unacceptable. You're already feeling as though someone has set you to the side, and the law now would require you to say, unclean, unclean. He would have been completely shunned by that society. As a matter of fact, lepers lived in their own separate commune away from everyone else. And and according to this disease, I, I believe that they were right in doing so. Yet Jesus welcomed him without fear of contracting the disease himself. And I think it's interesting to note the additional step that Jesus took for this man. He could have simply spoken the word. He could have said, just be healed. He could have said, now go show yourself to the priest and he's going to give you a clean bill of health and you can return back to your home and family and in the morning everything is going to be right back to normal. But however, the Lord knew he understands each and every one of us. Amen. He knew the leper's deepest need and that deepest need was for physical contact. Amen. Therefore, he placed his hand upon him and that was absolutely taboo. It was against the... It was against the law. You couldn't do that. It made him ritually unclean. But the Lord said, "I need you need not only to be healed in your body, but you need your emotions to be healed. You need your heart to be healed. Man, we may not be physical lepers, that's for sure. But sometimes we can feel untouchable. Perhaps you feel like you're unclean for whatever reason and Jesus knows that need and he knows where each and every one of us are today, spiritually, in truth, he welcomed the leper and I believe that he welcomes you and I today, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, day and night. Doesn't just accuse us before the throne day and night, but he accuses us in our heart and in our mind day and night. Well, let me prove my point. How many times have you ever knelt down in the altar to pray and the enemy of your soul met you at that altar to remind you of all the reasons you don't have a right to ask God for this or for that? And so he's not just before the throne accusing us, but he is in our mind, in our heart, trying to accuse us. So I want to say to you today that the Lord can heal not only our body, but he can heal our heart, he can heal our emotions, he can heal our scars. He's not ashamed to get involved in your life. In verses number 17. We find Jesus coming upon a man who is paralyzed physically. It goes without saying that if this man was physically paralyzed, he could do nothing for himself. So we don't have to let our minds ramble very far to understand this man could have easily felt like he's no longer a functioning part of society. I have nothing to bring to the table. I have nothing to offer. I can't do anything for my own self much less do anything for you. And so how easy it would be at that moment for him to feel like an outcast. However, Jesus didn't just reach down and heal his physical infirmity, but he declared to this man that had been lowered down to him, Amen, he declared to him, thy sins be forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, uh, they, they were just aghast, they were taken back that Jesus would say such a thing and they accused him of blasphemy. They asked who can forgive sins but God alone and Jesus responded by asking them a question, which do you think is easier, your sins being forgiven or saying get up, take up your bed and walk? I mean, it was at that moment that he said to the, paralyzed, to the paralyzed man, he said, I say unto you, arise and take up your bed, take up your, your cot and go your way. Go to thine house. And the scripture says immediately, He rose up and took that that he had been laying on and he departed to his own house. God took him from a position of being an outcast and brought him right back into his own home, into his own family. Can I tell you today that if you ever think that the church is a museum, you have got the wrong idea of what church is all about. This is not a museum where we highlight everybody's wonderful attributes, where we just highlight everybody's great holiness amen In inward and outward but what the church is is an emergency room amen so don't be surprised if you see some blood on the floor and some blood on the walls amen don't be surprised if you see some wounded broken person dragging a leg walking into him. if they're not welcome in church can somebody tell me where would they turn to find help where would they turn to find help Oh Lord, let the church always be a healing station. I'm thankful for an all-inclusive church. I'm thankful for a church. I'm thankful. For, I'm not just talking about the local church, but the local church is a part of the overall church. And so, I'm thankful for an all-inclusive church. I, I enjoy. I enjoy being able to go off to larger meetings where churches from all over the country are coming together, and it is a tremendous snapshot of what heaven is going to be about. Amen. It's a. Tre- a tremendous snapshot of what heaven is going to be because men and women from all walks of life have all come to the same level ground at the foot of the cross and they lifted their hands and their voices in repentance and they went down in a pool of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins, that saving name. Aren't you thankful for the name of the Lord? And they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and that baptism of the Holy Ghost is evidenced in scripture amen by the speaking with other tongues I'm thankful for the power of God and it works here it works in civilized societies and it works in jungles remote villages across our world the power of God can take us from where we are and bring us powerfully wonderfully and marvelously into his presence <laughs> God, hallelujah, hallelujah, I am thankful that he's a healer, but I'm going to tell you that if he had left the paralyzed man unhealed, the fact that he forgave his sins, hallelujah, that put his life in the right trajectory to make heaven his home, I'm thankful that for the healing virtue of the Lord, but I'm most thankful that he forgave me of my sins, praise God. You may feel emotionally or or spiritually at times paralyzed, unable to move forward, unable to help yourself. But I want to remind you today that Jesus has authority over your situation. Yes, he does. In In Luke 5 and 27, I'm going to be able to speak a little more freely today because Brother Chris Osborne is not here. In Luke 5 and 27, the Lord meets a tax collector. <laughs> so let's just talk about these tax collectors in his absence. You see, some of them were dishonest. and It was enough, enough to pay what they owe, but history talks about some of them being dishonest and taking some for themselves. And as an end result of that, people by and large viewed them as traitors. They were despised and they were considered the worst of the worst because it was a very crooked and corrupt system. One such man is referred to in this particular passage by the name of Levi but we better know him by the name Matthew that even has a gospel that bears his name. Jesus finds him sitting at his tax booth and and the Lord calls him to follow him. He just says, follow me. I want you to be careful right here and let's slow down just a moment. Because when the Lord said, follow me, the scripture indicates that he immediately left his tax booth, so to speak, and follows the Lord. Now here's what's interesting and important for us to understand, that in, in Jesus' day, the phrase, follow me, would have been something that would only be uttered by a rabbi. And that would only be said after there had been a long and thorough selection process to somebody to follow. And so Jesus, it seems from scripture, passes by and just says, follow me. And Matthew rises and follows him. And so this phrase, the reason this incensed those around is because they assumed he was taking this phrase lightly. That you're not even considering what you're doing. You're not even thinking about what this man is doing here to these people. But Jesus says, follow me. That wasn't enough. Afterwards, we find that Matthew invited Jesus to a meal. And you know, like most people, whatever you do for a living, chances are... Those are the people that you have in common and they make up at least in part your social circle. And so the next news you know, Matthew has invited Jesus to a meal. And guess what? There's other fellow tax collectors there. And by doing this, Jesus was including not only Matthew, but all of these others as a part of his life and family. And so when the Pharisees saw Jesus dining with the sinners and and the tax collectors, they weren't just a little upset. They were enraged that Jesus would do this, but he merely responded by saying, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Amen, they are the ones that need a physician. And so he said who are you to eat with sinners and who are you to eat with tax collectors who are you to eat with traders who are you to eat with those that would betray us and the Lord said may I remind you and he just used an example of a physician. He said those that are well they're not in line at the doctor's office. Those that are well they're not the ones sitting in a waiting room. Those that are well they're not on gurneys in an emergency room but the sick they are the ones that have a need of a physician and can I tell you today if if we're going to stand in this pulpit, if we're going to with songs and sermons declare that we have an answer, then we don't need a call and process at the door. We need to say Lord, send who you will. Give us the wisdom. Give us the power. Give us the patience to work with them. Hallelujah. Why? Because those that are whole, they are not needing a physician, but the sick, they need what we have. And so I say come and dine. If the master can say come and dine, then let the church say come and dine if the master can say come whosoever will then the church needs to be following suit praise God praise God amen in Luke 7 chapter 7 verse 36 we find now a woman a a sinner woman a sinful woman coming to Jesus Jesus is eating a meal at Simon the Pharisee's house while he and other guests are sitting there. Here comes a woman noted for her sin. There's a lot of speculation as to what her sin may be but that's not really relevant, is it? Because sin is sin. So while he and other guests are there she comes with an alabaster jar. Luke describes her as having led a sinful life. The woman instantly is so moved by being in the presence of the Lord that she begins to cry so much so that her tears fall to the feet of Jesus and those that were around were dismayed by what they were watching unfold moment by moment. She began to weep so much so that it, that it, that it wet his feet And then the scripture says that she dried his feet with her hair. And then she anointed them with perfume. And Simon speaks up, amen, and voices his disapproval. And Jesus responds by just sharing a parable. He just kind of lays something on the table for his consideration. And so the Lord speaks to Simon. And he says, he uses an illustration about a money lender. Lender who had forgiven two people of debts, amen, so Jesus asked Simon, he said, which one do you think would love the most? And Simon said, well, I believe the man who had the larger debt, that would be the man that would love the most, more so than the man with the smaller debt. The main point that Jesus was trying to point out, amen, was right here is a a lady who has a huge debt that has just been forgiven. She has felt the mercy of a Savior, so much so that tears came enough to wash his feet and dry his hair. Hallelujah. Oh, they thought maybe, they thought she was going to defy. Jesus when she touched him but he wasn't concerned about that he wasn't concerned about where she had been he was concerned about where she was can I tell you today the Lord is not concerned about where you've been he's concerned about where you are and when we stand at the foot of the cross I just gotta say it one more time we stand on level ground there's no big I there's no little you there is no rich there is no poor there is no educated no uneducated we stand as a soul in need of a mighty God hallelujah and I'm thankful (laughs) I'm thankful that his power moves and persuades us and draws us and pulls us into his presence and he can heal what's broken he can heal what's hurting hallelujah he can restore and he will give us what the enemy has taken away praise God praise God amen and before we sit here and cross our arms piously I will tell you that there's not one of us here that has a past we're proud of even if you didn't say amen (laughs) even if you didn't even nod your head We've all got a past that we're not proud of. We wouldn't want people trampling all around in our past. But I'll tell you something else we have in common. And that is an untouched and unmarred tomorrow. Amen. An untouched and an unmarred right now. Amen. The spirit and the power of the Lord has a drawing and it has a healing and it has a restoration about it. Amen. In the book of Luke chapter 8 seems like for several services that I've been talking about this particular story, but Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man in Luke 8. This man lived as an outcast. He lived in caves, the Bible says tombs, and other remote places. He was a wild man, unable to be clothed, unable to be tamed, and although people had shackled him, With chains, at times, he frequently broke free because of the demonic supernatural strength that was in him. In verse number 30, Jesus met and asked this man his name, to which he replied, Legion, because many demons had gone into him. And at that moment, at that moment, Jesus commanded the demons to come out of this man, and they begged, the demons begged for him to cast them into the swine that were feeding nearby. And the Lord did. And immediately those swine rushed headlong over a cliff and they drowned in the water below. And when others saw this, when others in the community beheld this, they came to see what happened. And here's what they found. They found the madman. They found the maniac. They found the man that cut himself with stones and cried day and night. That lived in caves and tombs. They found him clothed and in his right mind. Why, well, I would just think if, they'd ever, if they had never been a parade in that town, there should have been one that day. There had never been, if there had never been a, a picnic in the, in, the, in the city park, there should have been that day. But it was quite the opposite. They were filled with fear, and they asked the Lord and his disciples to leave. What a tragedy. Unbelievable. In the midst of all this, the man who had been delivered asked the Lord. If I can go with you, I want to join your ministry team. I want to go with you and I want to share my testimony to the world of what the Lord has done for me. And in another stroke of irony, the Lord says, I need you to stay here. And I want you to tell everyone around here what the Lord has done for you. What a powerful testimony. That man didn't have to open his mouth. if I could say this tongue in cheek this man had the easiest ministry ever he didn't have to say nothing <laughs> all he had to do was just get up and go in the restaurant in the morning what a testimony all he had to do was walk down the street all he had to do was walk in the hardware store he spoke volumes about what God had done in his life the whispers Hey, is that? Surely not. Are you sure? Yes, it is. He didn't have to open his mouth. All he had to do was walk. Amen. All he had to do was get up every day and just live. And people could see what God had done in his life. Amen. This man had suffered for a long time with an affliction in his spirit. Kept him in bondage for years not being in his right mind struck, stuck in a wilderness of his own if you please not only having felt like an outcast but he was truly an outcast spiritually, physically and emotionally Amen but now all of a sudden the word of the Lord sets him free I'm thankful <laughs> that the Lord didn't just say this is what we come to do but he set the book down He handed the book back to the ministry. And then he said, now watch. Now watch. In Luke 15, he meets the prodigal son. Once again, in this chapter, we see Jesus eating with sinners. Right away, right away, Jesus gives three parables in this chapter. And these three parables are merely to demonstrate how he has come to seek and save the lost. The first two parables are relatively short. And so I won't talk about them today. They're the, the, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. The final one is is a little more detailed. Perhaps the most well-known parable in all the word is the parable of the prodigal son. And so no matter how many times you've heard it, hear it one more time. Amen. a father had two sons who lived with him and seemingly they had everything they could wish for Until one day, the younger son said, I want everything that belongs to me. And his father gave him that. He set off and he spent everything that he had living a reckless life. And eventually, when everything was gone, severe famine hit the land where he was. And he was desperate to find anything to eat, to wear, anything that would be by way of a job. Instantly, he became an outcast. Unwanted by anyone or anything else. And so as he is sitting there, at least in close proximity to a pig pen, he realizes that enough is enough. He came to himself. I'm going to tell you something today. No matter where you were when you came to yourself, It may have been the most deplorable and unthinkable place on the planet, but wherever you were when you came to yourself, you need to put an X on the ground and thank God for that little piece of real estate every day of your life. If that's what it took... If that's what it took for God to get your attention, I'm going to tell you there's some testimonies in this house that would blow your mind of where someone was when the Lord got a hold of their life and opened their eyes and opened their mind. And so before you start throwing rocks and before you start talking down on that longitude and latitude of somebody else's testimony, can I remind you today, they wouldn't take anything for that spot of ground. They wouldn't take anything for that moment in time in their life. You know why? Because it was right there, they came to themselves and they said, you know, no matter how bad things are, amen, the worst person inside has got it better than I have on the outside. I'm going to turn and I'm going to make my way back. Hallelujah. I feel the Lord in this house and I feel a drawing in this house Can I tell you that no matter where you are today, you may not be in a mire, you may not be in the mud, you may have everything you want naturally or physically but I'm asking you, is all well with your soul how is it with your soul how is it with your soul the Lord wants to awaken us and shake us and stir us he does he does he does he does oh I got to get back home I've got to get back home I got to get back home his father and here is such a wonderful illustration in scripture the Bible says his dad, the father, was so anxious at the return of his son that he met him in the field. How that likens to the Lord who's going to meet his church in the clouds. Amen. He's not going to wait for us to get there and knock on the door ask who is it? No, no, no. There was some anticipation in his heart that means to me, that tells me that this father must have been daily walking to that field, daily looking on that horizon, daily peering to see if his son would come home. Can I tell you today the devil wants to shame you, the enemy wants to shame you because of your failure, but can I tell you I believe there's a daily God amen, that is looking on the horizon to see if there is any glimmer of hope of return and if you'll just turn toward him today. Amen, you're not gonna see a judge. You're not gonna see a judge with a gavel waiting to fall judgment on you, but you're gonna see a father with open arms that says, come on home. Come on home. Come on home. Hallelujah. He welcomes him back. He is moved. He is so moved by this display of love that he never anticipated Amen. And his father says, his father says to the service, bring the best robe. Bring the best ring and prepare the fatted calf. He wants to celebrate because he's got a child that's come home. In a strange twist of fate, the older brother hears the celebration and news gets to him. And he's angry to find out that his father is celebrating over a brother who has wasted everything. Can I tell you today, it is so easy if you're not careful. So easy. Because we never left the father's house. To judge those who are trying to get back. If anybody needs to get back, it's those that left. I mean, they're going to have enough to reap. They're going to have enough to reap without the church making it more difficult. They're going to have enough to reap because it's the law of the harvest. I'm not talking about the Lord not forgiving. We're talking about two different things. The Lord can forgive us, but there's still the law of the harvest. And while I'm on this, this particular passage, I'll just say this, that nowhere in scripture and this is just food for thought i'm not i'm not trying to get into a debate i don't have the energy for that this morning but nowhere in scripture do you find that the young man who wasted his inheritance ever got his inheritance back because you see what was spent was spent he's already paid a high price he doesn't need me to meet him at the door looking down my righteous nose at him. Amen. He's already got a price to pay. There's some things that we lose. Can you say amen? amen. Time, if nothing else, time that we lose. But that, I'm not trying to paint a dim or gl- or, or, or gleam a bleak picture for us today i 'm just telling you that, the, that, that that people have enough to wade through on their own they don't need somebody amen to judge them and call them coming through the door they just need somebody to love them from where they are. let I me mean, just take it one step further i've said many times that that the that the unique position of a lifeguard is to save the life they have to save the life. Of people who ignored the signs, they got to save the life of people who swam beyond the limits. They got to, they got to save those who went past the rope. Their job is not to take their life raft and go out there and and ask a drowning man, why did you get out too far? Didn't you see the signs? They're not there to ask a drowning man or a woman, what are you doing? Didn't you see the rip current? No, no, no. They got to go save them. They've got. To, it's not important why they're there. What's important is that you've been called to save their life what's important is that they're in peril what's important is that they're in trouble and you've got something in your hand that can save their life if I have something in my hand that can save them I want to save them and not try to bludgeon them hallelujah I'm glad for an all inclusive church I'm glad for an all inclusive church praise God oh Lord Lord Oh Lord, I must hasten, I must hasten. Praise God. Amen. And so I will say this in closing. Churches are made up of people from all walks of life. Every kind of conceivable background. Within the church, you'll find brokenness, you'll find wholeness, you'll find wealth, you'll find poverty, and sometimes you'll even find sin. I hope not besetting sin, but follow me. And so before we draw out our big black book, before we get our pencil sharp, we need to be reminded of, of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, and such were some of you. You know, we have a real tendency to grade ourselves on a pretty big curve. A lot of liberty. Pretty generous. (laughs) Am I the only one that steps lightly on a scale when you go to the doctor's office? Because I think if you do it slower... (laughs) You know, I'm not... I'm not going to run in there and just dive on it. I'm just going to try to ease on it one foot at a time because in my mind, somehow that helps. Go ahead and laugh at me. (laughs) I'll meet you at your next appointment. (laughs) You wear the lightest garments you have in your closet. Am I true? I ain't wearing jeans that day. I got to put my work boots on later. I got my tennis shoes on right now. Right, flip flops. I'm hearing a lot of guilt and that's not confession time. Let's stop. (laughs) A healthy barometer, I believe, for determining a Christ-like church would be whether or not a Pharisee or the self-righteous is comfortable there. Because if a Pharisee or if the self righteous feel comfortable, the church may be far more concerned with ceremony than it is with mercy. Amen. I, I want you to understand I'm not speaking against biblical principles and rules of Scripture, by no means. But if, on the other hand, the church is welcoming a broken people and surrounds them with a caring community of saints, then we're probably closer to being more like the Christ-like community that Jesus called the church, the church. He didn't come for the so-called righteous. He came for the sinners like you and me. And he told them to repent and be baptized in his precious name for the remission of their sin and to be filled with his spirit. i want to ask you to stand. The all-inclusive church community emulates Jesus Christ of the world. He reflects his ministry to the broken outcasts of society. And I'm going to close where we begin. Luke 4 and 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do the following things. To preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted, Preach deliverance to the captives. Recovering a sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. Bruised. Some wounds you can see. Bruises are emotional things, heart issues. He didn't just come to heal our wounds, but he come to heal our bruises as well. Amen, Lord, I love you today and thank you for your goodness, mercy. Thank you for your strength and the power of the Holy Ghost today. God, touch us. Oh, mighty God, touch us today. And anoint us and help us to be the church in this hour that we've been called to be. I pray your blessings, your strength, and your anointing will be upon us as we move forward now. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Amen. May may the Lord bless you. This message has
0: been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.